Bible reading this morning is from Acts, chapter 25, verses 1 to 12. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up to Caesarea, from Caesarea, sorry, to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented charges against Paul. They requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush him and kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held in Caesarea. I myself am going there soon. Let some of you leaders come with me. And if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, he convened the court and ordered Paul to be brought in. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they couldn't prove them. Then Paul gave his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has any right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. This is the word of the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the life that you have brought to us in Christ. This morning, Lord, we need your help. Help us to move forwards. Help us to hear your voice, to know your presence. And Father, give us courage this morning to act. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you who've been around a while and looked at the world news, I still look at the kind of traditional outlets for world news, the kind of print media, even though they're online and various other things like that. We'll realize that after a while that you need to be quite careful about the pronouncements that you make and the narrative that you run in your own head or that other people run about what a situation is really like. History, as they say, is full of surprises where people have made very bold statements about this or the, that, and then only to find that actually the real situation is very different and can change on a sixpence. So as we look at the chaos in Israel and Gaza, as we think about how quickly things can change globally, whether it's economically or we think about the Arab Spring a number of years ago, we think about politics and how fragile politics can be. We realize that things can change really quickly. I mean, I'd even go as far as to say, about a month ago, England were quite useful at cricket. Turns out they couldn't win any match they tried to. One minute defeating everybody, literally a month later, same people couldn't beat anybody. Steady. And as we observe these things, as we observe the experiences of all sorts of things like that, it reminds us to be quite careful about what we judge and how we judge. Things can change very quickly. One of the things that over the years I've uh, had conversations with is Christians who have been serving in some of the persecuted areas of the world. And actually, when I've got into conversation, they're deeply offended by some of my attitudes. That actually, a lot of my attitudes are a bit patronizing to them, as I've talked to them about how difficult things must be, as if things are really easy here in the West. They sort of say to me, well, Tim, Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Trust and believe seems incredibly simplistic. But that's some of the challenge they brought to me. A few years ago at New Wine, I remember being someone, I heard the story of a Christian charity called Rubies in the Rubble. It was a kind of new charity that was set up to, to reduce food waste and take away fruit and veg that were being discarded and thrown away into landfill and turned it into chutney. The leftover waste turned into something that was delicious. Actually, it turns out to be now an award-winning company taking waste food and turning it into something delicious. Seems unlikely, doesn't it? 
Isaiah 61, which is that great passage uh, that foretells of Jesus, speaks out of the Spirit who brings hope from despair, who brings joy from mourning, who brings beauty from ashes. It's a passage we know well. That's the God we worship. That's what God does. That's what God sees. The story is about God, not about us. He is the lead character. We are the supporting character. A number of years ago, I remember mentioning as part of some of the series we've done over the last few years, a book that I still think is a really challenging book, an important book for some of us. And the title of the book is simply this, When People Are Too Big and God Is Too Small. The messes we get into in discipleship, in our kind of church, when actually we get things the wrong way around, literally the wrong way around. When God is big and people are small, when God finds people humble, surrendered, consecrated, that's a very biblical world, word, sorry. The Bible says things are possible, all things are possible with God then actually what looks impossible becomes possible in God's hands to display God's splendor. A few weeks ago, um, admittedly it is quite a few weeks ago, I had a delightful conversation with Neve's mum, who turns out to be a bit of an artist and someone who's into pottery, and she's very passionate about pottery. And actually she was talking, my eyes were glazing over a little because I don't know a lot about it, but essentially the miracle of turning a big lump of clay into an extraordinarily beautiful pot is something that maybe we need to remind ourselves of this morning. Or as the Bible might put it in all sorts of different places, one of the places I often go back to is Ezekiel the prophet, where the desert, with God, suddenly life can come. Life can come as God breathes his life into what seems dry or difficult or impossible. We're towards the end of our journey in the book of Acts, and those who've been following it or kind of know will know that Paul is in a bit of difficulty. He's obviously been in prison before. As we've followed his missionary journeys, he's actually been captured and miraculously released from prison uh, as part of his missionary work a number of times. And here he's been in prison a while, but not immediately released. Last week we saw he'd been there a while, but in this passage we find Paul's strength, Paul's wisdom, Paul's courage under fire in many ways is is miraculous, but also it's not an accident. Paul's courage, Paul's behavior and the most severe difficulty is a byproduct of a life of faith and of trust and obedience in the cauldron of serving God in the real and difficult world. We ended chapter 24 with Paul still in jail and having to wait, to wait and to wait. Even though he knew he could in a moment be released, but he's still waiting. Initially he was there for two years and then there are two years more. He was accused by the Jewish leaders, tried by the Roman governor, previously Felix, because even though he was innocent, it was actually too risky for him to see Paul released mentioned last week that actually being delayed, being postponed and interrupted is probably, I'm going to say, nearly all of us would say, none of us enjoy that, having to wait. None of us really enjoy having been thwarted or being told to wait. 
or stuck in a queue. I nearly jumped the queue with Rosemary at coffee this morning and she put me in my place quite rightly. Uh, but actually we've been there before, haven't we, before where, you know, waiting is difficult. So we go to what we find in this passage. We've got a new governor, Festus, and he begins, and within three days of his appointment, he heads off to win the favor of the Jewish leaders. A Sanhedrin in this opportunity with a new governor, having not managed to see Paul sort of knocked off, so to speak, see an opportunity to see Paul once and for all dealt with when he's transported from Jerusalem to, uh, to Caesarea. Festus wants to please these Jewish leaders, and there's something in the kind of behavior of these leaders, both the Roman and the Jewish leaders, that speaks so much of the challenge of politics that doesn't seem to change. But Paul senses trouble, and he exercises his right as a Roman citizen and appeals his case to the emperor Nero. So two things I just want to talk about first. Firstly, be alert. In this passage, Paul is under severe pressure. You cannot sleep your way through the Christian life. We're called to be on our guard. The Bible doesn't paint a picture of what it means to be a Christian disciple that means that everybody's going to warmly welcome us, invite us in, in which we'll have no opposition, and God's people are just going to be sort of serenaded through the streets. That's not the picture throughout Scripture. Christianity, as I've said before, is not a sail on a cruise ship. It's something much more significant than that. The Christian writer G.K. Chesterton puts it like this. We do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. We're called to be on our guard, alert, awake. And it's clear from this passage that Paul sensed that sense of danger he's in personally, but also demonstrates what we've seen in Acts before throughout Acts, but what it means to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We saw that early on in our journey through Acts, the call to be full of the Spirit and wisdom to serve God. Paul isn't passive and naive, tossed about on the waves of the kind of latest kind of challenges he finds himself in. But he knows the sufficiency of God in all his circumstances. The Sanhedrin plot and plan and want to see Paul dead. So it's just worth taking a moment for just for a minute. How aware are you of the opposition you face in your Christian life day to day? In a number of weeks, we hope to, we're going to baptize Laurie amongst it at the end of November, aren't we? And actually, one of the kind of things I love in the baptismal liturgy is this. It talks about the battle against sin, the world, and the devil. There is a challenge and a battle in our lives. The future is not just a, something that comes bow, bow tied, God puts in our lap and just says, here you go. We've got to take hold of it, the gift of faith. Got to take hold of it and walk with it and live it. Live the life that God has called us to. We're called to live by faith, not by sight. And we're called to live our lives for Christ. And our lives, ultimately, each one of our lives is our testimony. Is our story of God's work in our life and all that we've done with it. 
And Paul here is under significant difficulty and, and he stands firm in verse 8, kind of with classic Paul's strength and also sharpness of mind and, and clarity of thought. He says, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. He simply stands And I know this is just, in a sense, another Sunday on another day in 2023, but there are, each of us will be facing in our own Christian lives temptations that we struggle with. Not to live the life God's called us to. To give up on whatever it is that we're called to. Give up on God, give up on your group, give up on church. To give up on living the life of Christ with care and with love. And actually for us, I kind of think in our culture, one of our great difficulties is that we can just sit back and observe life. Observe other people's lives. Rather than live the life God has called us to live. Paul reminds us again and again and again and again. He's living the life God called him to of course, there are no shortcuts in the Christian life. There's no shortcuts to praying, to spending time in worship, to spending time in God's word, to serving one another, serving in mission or to giving or to Christian growth in our, in our character. There aren't shortcuts. All of us need our daily bread. We survive. Our health is dependent on our ability to eat and consume daily bread. To keep close to God, find ways of keeping close to God. Because our choices really do matter day by day. And of course, one of the great privileges of being a Christian, one of the great privileges about being part of God's church is that we get to see God at work in all sorts of different ways. And it may be that, you know, I get a little bit more privileged than you do in some, some of the kind of circumstances I find myself in week by week. When you see God at work in power and in love. Sometimes in real pain, other times people stepping into what God's called them to and seeing the joy of that. But it's a privilege. It's a privilege to represent God in this world. To see people blessed, to see people healed, to see people encouraged, to see people strengthened, to see people find God's given purpose for their lives. And as we think this morning, it's one of the things about being alert, is that just actually taking a bit of a moment to think, what temptations am I facing? And what do I need to ask God's help for? What I know, this is kind of very much a thing of our culture and our time, but I had two conversations in the last week with past vicars, pastors in the southwest in the last week or maybe two weeks, and, and prompted, they both expressed their exasperation of kind of people desperately struggling to live their life but wanting to kind of tell everybody else how to live their lives. And no sense of God's call on their lives and therefore just actually all at sea, I suppose, might be one of the ways of describing it. Each one of us, as a disciple of Jesus, myself included, will have to give an account what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the singular. 
We are all followers of Jesus. And if you're struggling this morning, can I just encourage you? At the end of the sermon, I'm going to leave a bit of space. Just use that opportunity to ask for God's help. Ask him to show you what kind of help you think you need. Or at the end of the service, find someone to pray with you. Find, get the right people around you if you're struggling. We're not intended to live life on our own. Famously, one Peter, um, Peter put it this, be alert, be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. God does want good things for you, not in a kind of, um, just you only get blessing and nothing else in your life, but for you and for us in St. Swithin's, God has good plans for us. He has good plans for people, good plans for his church. It doesn't always make life easy, but they're good. But we need to be awake to those. We need to be alert to those so that we can respond with our lives and our actions when God speaks and God nudges and God begins to move us into the places he's called us to. So firstly, be alert. Secondly, move forwards. Even one of the kind of great bits of these passages where Paul is on trial with the religious leaders and with the Roman kind of rulers as well, he is obviously very, very restricted. So me talking about moving forwards might seem hilarious, sort of actually the opposite. But Paul is faced with choices in all of these things. There are little choices all along the road that matter. Obviously, the Roman leaders here sort of, you know, trying to entice Paul, seems to offer Paul protection. Come, I'll, I'll do a proper court hearing for you. You'll be safe, don't worry. Come down to Jerusalem. There are good people down there. I've met them. They're okay. You'll get a fair trial. I'll protect you. Trust me, almost. You can hear in the background. Yet Paul, and actually one commentator put it like this, and it's worth reflecting, Paul chooses Rome ahead of Jerusalem. Paul chooses Rome ahead of Jerusalem. And it's worth reflecting on that. Paul chooses to move forwards into what God has called him to rather than to go backwards to where he's come from. And obviously it looks attractive sometimes to go backwards because it's what we know, what we think, what we've done before, what we think. But often God calls us to move forwards. And of course we know from the extract from the text that Paul already has had a promise from the Lord in chapter 23. He said, actually, you'll go to Rome. You'll make it to Rome. So Paul already knows, in a sense, that's where he's going. So maybe his choice is a little bit more kind of made than I'm giving the impression of. But here, as it says, it's here Paul sees the opportunity for God's promise to be fulfilled. He can appeal to Caesar. And to Caesar you'll go, the text says, right at the end there in verses 11 and 12. To Caesar you will go. Now, of course, we spent all last year thinking about the theme of what it means to walk by the Spirit, of, of knowing God's voice on your life, of beginning to walk with God and to work out what that looked like, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to walk with him, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus Christ, to move forwards. And actually, you won't be surprised if you do, we're in the kind of reading through Acts, Paul never has a sense 
There's never a sense that Paul seems to lack purpose. Even when he's imprisoned, he hasn't lost sight of the end. He hasn't given up. The story of Acts, if we go back to the beginning, and Acts 1.8, is about the mission of God to go to the ends of the earth. And there is a sense in which Paul, in going to Rome, where we'll eventually find him later on right towards the end, he's going to the center of that world of the known time in which the message can then get out to the ends of the earth. And so I can sense my appeal. I know some of us in Uganda, I think, this week went on pilgrimage and there's hundreds of other ways to get involved in what God, do you think God might be prompting you to be involved with? But I'm just going to say it again. I'm not saying anything different. Is that we're not called. There are times when we need to be like ships who are just put into harbour. Just need to take a time, get mended, get fitted, get organised, get strengthened. But the aim of a boat is to sail, is to move. Its purpose is to move, to make a difference, to fulfil the purpose for which it was made and created. And in those times, it needs the wind to sail. You know, and then we need to get out into the ocean to move, to be available, to be used by God. And of course, Paul has demonstrated that again and again. Actually, in our culture, there are so many different examples that we could use to try and illustrate what kind of difference we can make when we begin to move forwards. But I'm going to use someone who've quoted before from the States, Martin Luther King Jr., who put it this way in a kind of very bold way. If you can't fly then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Of course, for that to happen, we need to understand the season in our life that we live in and we help each other with that. It's not about just being young. It's about knowing the season you're in and how we can begin to continue to do what God's called us to to know who God is, the God who's with us through every season of life, and to get on the narrow road that leads to life. That's how we think about it, the narrow road that leads to life. So I'm just going to draw a few things together, then we're going to have some quiet. It's going to encourage you to just take some time in quiet prayer before we respond in worship this morning. And I wonder what it is God is saying to you this morning. Do you need kind of waking up to some of the temptations that you're facing so you can more effectively walk with God? Is God calling you to get back into the game, I suppose. To offer yourselves to him, to be used by him in service. Of rededicating yourself to him. Say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm yours. I'm yours. One of the images we used a lot last year is of Jesus offering out his hand to us and calling us to take his hand and to walk with him. 
And that invitation maybe remains this morning. God wants you to work with him and to go with him, not just to go on a a walkabout on your own. And it does, it amazes me as I read through scripture again and again, and I know Paul is a particular character, how God uses such ordinary people like me and you for his purposes. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves afresh this morning as your church. Would you use us? But for that to be the case, we've got to make ourselves available on your terms, Jesus, not on ours. King Jesus, would you come and move amongst us? Would you minister by your spirit to hearts and minds where you long to bring encouragement, affirmation? Maybe just you need to hear God's voice of affirming you. You are my beloved. But also maybe this morning that you feel profoundly stuck and not quite sure where to go. So this morning, if there's anybody in that category of feeling stuck as preparing a real sense I just want to I'm not going to ask you to physically do anything but if that is you just to pray particularly Heavenly Father I want to thank you for your call on each of those, those people's lives this morning thank you that they're yours and yours alone Give them the courage to accept your offer of help, the hand that will lead them on the narrow narrow path that leads to life. Father, we confess that too often we wanted to do life on our own and go our own way. We've got stuck again. We're sorry. We repent. Would you lead us in your ways everlasting this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.